Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Hey, everybody. What's going on? Today is Sunday. It is the 15th of September, 2019. As you may or may not be able to tell, I am once again in the mobile studio. I have a little bit of time that I knew I was going to have or I was going to be waiting around a little bit. So I thought maybe we can get at least a segment done or possibly even the whole show. We'll have to see how it goes. So anyway, if you want to contact me, there's a couple of different ways that you can do so. I have the voicemail, which is 206-745-2731. There is also the email address where you can do your own audio recording or you can send in an email and I will get that out for you on the show. The email address is firearmscafe at protonmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at protonmail.com. There are buttons over on the website, which is firearmscafe.com, for Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. And you can check those out if you would like. Also, if you like the show and would ever consider supporting it financially, there is a donation button down at the kind of midpoint or so of the website, which just says donate as you scroll through. So anyway, last time we talked a little bit about red flag laws. And Dave from Utah has sent in some good feedback on that for us. And we will play that here in a second. But before we jump in with that, let's talk a little bit about maybe some of the latest things that are going on as far as what is happening in some of these Democratic presidential nomination debates. I guess that's how we would phrase them. And the biggest thing had to do with what Robert Francis, a.k.a. Beto O'Rourke, had to say, which was that the, I think the quote was, hell yeah, we're going to take your AR-15s and your AK-47s. Now, I could have that a little off. I don't remember. I, I did watch what he said and kind of watch what he said prior to that statement. And he was asked about, you know, gun control and this and that. And one of the things that he did, and it was so fake, it was so transparent, you could tell that he was he was uh, doing a little bit of acting there to where, you know, it was almost like he was so frustrated, almost to the point of tears. He had a little quaver in his voice when he talked about how, you know, horrible and evil and dangerous AR-15s and AKs are. So it's just so disingenuous. Of course, he's playing to his base. And I guess, you know, does he really believe that? Or is he trying, is he out there trying to say, some of the most radical stuff. Now, we see it on the right as well, you know, as well as on the left. Uh, You see all these politicians, they all want to get reelected. They all want to maintain and increase power. And they're going to say and do things to that end. And, of course, at these conventions, again, for both sides, the people that are there aren't really there to sort of make up their mind. Uh, So so let's, since, since the Democratic conventions and and things are what's going on and debates are what's going on. We'll kind of focus with that. Those people that are there are going to vote for a Democrat no matter what. They are not going to suddenly jump ship and vote Republican or vote Libertarian or or Green Party or whatever. They are going to vote for whoever that person who ends up getting the nomination is, without a doubt. And a lot of them, a lot of these type of debates are basically just to kind of reassure the base that we're going to stick with the platform and there's going to be a lot of hyperbole in these things. And what you're going to see, at least what I think you're going to see from the Democrats is when it gets closer and when they're kind of going head to head with Trump, they're going to pull back on some of this rhetoric because they already know that they've got their base. 
so they don't really have to preach to them. What they what they're going to have to do is a couple of things. They really want to make sure that they get everybody who's a Democrat out there and voting so that Trump doesn't win again. That's kind of their number one concern. So, again, they want to get that base out there. But then what they also want to do is appeal to the people. And there are people out there that are like that, who like this, excuse me, who don't have their I won't say necessarily they don't have their minds made up, but they don't really have any allegiance to any party. And they say, oh, well, these are the issues that are important to me. And this is what this one guy is saying. Oh, you know, or, you know, uh, let's say if it's going to be Tulsi Gabbard or Elizabeth Warren, you know, I think that, you know, if, if you're one of these kind of undecided people or, or if you're a pure issue person, maybe some of the stuff that one of those people talks about is kind of your your key issue. So maybe it's about education. Maybe it's about the environment. Maybe it's about guns. Maybe, you know, who knows? And so that's the people that really the Democrats are kind of trying to go after, sort of that undecided thing. Although uh, in, in today's society, in the way that most things are, most people, it's it's so partisan and so team sports type thing that sort of issue-driven voter is shrinking. That, that base is not really expanding. So anyway, getting back to sort of his comments, it does show that they are unafraid to make these remarks. Whether this stuff will come back to bite them, I don't know. Whether or not you have somebody like Beto, and he and he's not going to get the nomination. I I would be very very surprised if he gets it. I think it will probably be somebody like. Oh boy, I don't know. They, they, when you look at the polls, it looks like Biden is is kind of up, and then you have maybe um, Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren, and then maybe a little bit below them, maybe Tulsi. Uh, what's her last name? Gabbard, something like that. So I, I don't know. I, I think it'll probably be one of those four. If I had to say which one, if I had to kind of, boy, that's a tough one. Maybe I would say, I don't know. I, it's a real close between probably Biden and I was going to say Elizabeth Warren, but I think it might be Kamala Harris. I think that's who they're, they, and I think, I don't know. I think maybe Kamala Harris maybe has the might get it again. I don't know. It's it's so everything is so preliminary now, but I don't think it's going to be Beto O'Rourke. Uh, the Democrats are not going to want to throw up a straight white male. So, and if they do, it's going to be somebody that they think that a lot of older people will come out and vote for, and they probably would say, "Well, I'd rather have Biden than O'Rourke type deal." And but. Here's one thing. I don't know. It's not going to happen, but here would be a funny thing. If O'Rourke did get it, then what you're going to see is he'll still hang on to the Beto thing, but what they're going to really start doing is comparing him to Kennedy, and they're going to you know, try and play the whole Irish thing and all that other kind of nonsense. But anyway, I'm kind of getting a little bit far afield. So let's talk a little bit and kind of circle back around to some of this rhetoric that these guys are throwing out there and spewing out there. And again, it's to get their base fired up. So once they get to the actual presidential debates to where whoever it is is going up against Trump, I think that they are going to pull back on that stuff. I think that they are really going to to go out on the stuff of we need universal background checks and we need red flag laws. And they're gonna they're gonna keep saying that thing and, and look it shows most Americans they support that well uh, what we're finding out is most Americans don't support red flag laws and most Americans don't support universal background checks which basically means it's an end to private face to face sales anyway we have that uh, I, I know this in in uh, Arizona where I'm at and in several other states you can still do private sales. But before I go too far down in there, let's let's kind of stick with this, maybe the, a little bit of the politics thing. Uh, because some of the stuff that Dave brings up in his voicemail that he... Well, actually, it wasn't a voicemail. He, he did an audio recording and sent it in. 
some of his stuff that he talks about in there, uh, we can expand upon here in a little bit. So I tell you what, let's go ahead and let's play Dave's audio recording. And I think what I'll do is I'll have it play all the way through. And then I will come back and kind of go over some of those the, the points that he made. And not necessarily debate them, but just expand upon them. Because uh, most, of, obviously, I've listened to it already, but most of the stuff he says there I'm in agreement with. Um, so, anyway, let's go ahead and hear from Dave. Hey, Tony, this is Dave in Utah. Um, in a recent episode, you were talking about uh, red flag laws and mass shootings and, uh, you know, the current argument about uh, guns. And uh, I thought I'd weigh in on that. And I think my comment would probably be too long for a three-minute voicemail. So I'm going to try to do a, a recording. So, red flag, red flag laws. First of all, we need to remember that red flag laws are unnecessary. Because uh, under the way the law currently works, if somebody is a threat to themselves or others then the police, if they find evidence of that, can take that person into custody and maybe charge them with a crime or, uh, you know, get them involuntarily committed to a mental health facility where they can um, get the help that they need to, you know, protect them from suicide or, or to, you know, whatever the problem was. So... What a red flag law would do is um, just take the guns away from somebody before, you know, the charging of a crime happened, um, basically without due process. Somebody could could report them, could report you, and then you just take the guns away. Um, I know uh, Dan Crenshaw had uh, mentioned something on about being in support of uh, discussing red flag laws, but saying that we would need to have some sort of uh, protections in place to ensure, um, you know, due process continued um, unabated. And, um, you know, basically to, to make sure that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be uh, something that could be easily abused. However, if, the, if that type of law were to pass, it wouldn't really be a red flag law because the feature of the red flag laws is that they are enacted quickly because there's supposedly an imminent threat to the public. Um, however, uh, I know Rob Pincus shared a couple articles recently, uh, one where it was a, a month ago, a grandmother um, came to learn that her grandson had... Um, had purchased a rifle and was planning on uh, doing some type of public mass shooting and so she uh, threatened she called the police and had him uh, you know they investigated and found it was a credible threat and they arrested him and he's now you know in custody he's getting his mental health evaluations and then there was a uh, um, there was a story out of Las Vegas within the last few days of when I'm recording this, where uh, police received a tip that this guy was, <clears throat> you know, getting a little too involved in the white supremacists and was making plans to, you know, send in squads of guys to storm, a, you know, Jewish community centers or, you know, gay bars or places like that and, and to shoot people there. And so he ended up being arrested after the police, you know, received this tip and investigated and found it to be credible. And he was charged with, you know, conspiracy to commit murder. So those were, those were laws that, or those were instances where someone was a danger to the public, but then they were removed from being a danger to the public and, you know, separated from their firearms, taken into custody, no red flag laws needed, really. So I would say if someone's bringing up red flag laws, I would say they're unnecessary because the, the current system allows us to 
deal with somebody if they're a threat. <clears throat> um, second thing I wanted to bring up is um, these laws are being proposed as a way to protect against uh, mass shootings. However, um, psychologists don't know for sure what is driving people um, to make the decision to do a mass shooting. Um, I mean, there's a few, there are a few theories out there. Um, Jordan Peterson has a theory that these guys are, for whatever reason, um, they're, they've become so resentful and nihilistic and kind of hateful of the world that they're, uh, they're, they're going to lash out and do this horrible thing just kind of out of spite or to, to show everybody how angry they are. Um, so he thinks that, that, uh, you know, this deep seated nurtured sense of resentment is what's driving people to do it. And it may be true in some cases, but again, it, we don't know for sure what is causing people to make this decision or if there is one single thing that is causing people to make this decision to, to do a mass shooting. Um, I mean, because clearly there, some people have different motives. And so therefore, since we don't know what's causing it, then any laws that we pass are going to be impossible to prevent another mass shooting. And so people may, may argue in favor of having universal background checks or having red flag laws or limiting the size of magazines or whatever. But those laws don't address the reason why these people are deciding to go and do a mass shooting. So they're definitely not going to prevent another mass shooting. Um, and then uh, a the third point I wanted to bring up is um, these politicians who are in favor of them. I mean, I think there's, there might be a few who are true believers, you know, the, the Dianne Feinstein types who, who think that guns are an overall threat to society, you know, that we need to get rid of them and that any step that we could take that will bring us closer to getting rid of guns in society is a good thing. And so, you know, using, using any, any rhetorical method to try and convince people to get rid of guns is going to be a good thing. So, I mean, there's going to be a few people who are true believers in gun control, but I think a lot of the, a lot of the politicians who are arguing in favor of these, of these new laws, you know, when after a mass shooting, everyone is saying, why does this keep happening? What can we do about it? Some uh, advocate will say, well, we could do this and this law. And uh, so many politicians are like, hey, yeah, that is something we can do. We can do that and then we can say we've done something. I think a lot of those politicians, um, they're, just, they're just trying to keep their job. They're just trying to get elected the next round. So I think we need to... Um, remind those politicians that that would be a very short-sighted thing to do and that you know despite the the rhetoric on Twitter on social media YouTube or in the in the news um, there are still many 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 gun owners in America and while we may not agree on everything we do uh, you know, want to maintain our rights to own guns and protect ourselves. So I think we need to remind politicians that, you know, give them feedback that there are actually people who will not vote for them if they advocate or vote for in favor of any of these proposed gun control laws. And, uh, you know, give them that little feedback to help them with their decision making process. If the only, you know, if the only input they get is from the activists and the news saying, you know, it's the guns, it's the guns, we got to ban the guns, then, um, then they're going to think 
since that's all they're hearing, then that's what people want. So we need to remind them that there are people who do not want guns to be banned. They don't want, you know, the cost of gun ownership in convenience to go any higher than it is already. And uh, so I, I did a Facebook post where I, I kind of summarized those points um, to where you could uh, you could call and leave a voicemail or have the intern write down this message. And uh, I tried to keep it as short as I could so it would be easy for them to remember. And uh, just to kind of summarize my points, uh, it was... You know, you would call and say, hey, I don't, you know, tell the representative that I don't want them to vote in favor of any new gun laws. Even if Trump comes out in support of them, I don't want them to vote for them. And then three reasons. First reason is red flag laws are unnecessary because the current law allows people who are a danger to themselves or others to be taken into custody by police and treated or charged with a crime. Red flag laws are unnecessary because we can already do that. Second point is, since we do not understand what causes people to want to go on a mass shooting, then any law we pass will certainly be incapable of preventing another mass shooting. So we should not pass these laws because um, it's not going to actually stop another mass shooting. And then, of course, the third point is, you know, speaking directly to the representative, if they support any new gun control laws, then gun owners will not um, support them in the future. And if that, you know, representative does not get reelected, then they will not be able to be a positive influence in the legislature. So um, something to think about, some other points to discuss um, and uh, hopefully this this message was not too rambling for the podcast. All right, thanks. Bye. All right, Dave. Thanks for sending that stuff in. I appreciate it. And do not worry about the length. The length of that audio recording was just fine. So the first one of the first points that Dave made was that there are already laws in place that would allow the police or, you know, whatever alphabet agency would be looking into it to investigate someone and to either take them into custody or to do things like, uh, like he was saying, like involuntary commitments um, and to be able to look at that person as a whole. And I agree with a lot of that stuff. And what that does is it keeps due process in place. And when we look at things like red flag laws, what we can look at is something that happened out here in Arizona not too long ago. And they wanted to do, and they, they eventually did pass it, they wanted to do a thing where they said, if you're driving, you can't have your cell phone in your hand. It can be on a, a dash-mounted thing, and you can still listen to you know, earbuds and blah, 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 or talk on the phone, all this other stuff. But you just can't have it in your phone. You can't have your phone, excuse me, in your hand because that will then preclude you from texting, blah, blah, blah. Well, the reality is, is in Arizona, we already have what would be maybe commonly referred to as a distracted driver law. So this new cell phone law that got passed basically doesn't do anything that wasn't already in place. And that's what we're seeing with some of these red flag laws. Now, I, I would say that in the spirit of what the red flag law is supposed to do. It's supposed to allow the, uh, basically we'll just say the government to come in because we, if we say police or this, that, the other thing, look, the police are government. Whether you want to believe that or not, the police are the, the enforcement arm of the state government. If you're looking at other federal agencies, there are the enforcement arms of the uh, federal government. So, but anyway, it would allow them to come in and basically on, oh, and again, this is in theory, it would allow them to come in and base on stuff that they could kind of verify 
and maybe they can't, you know, hundred percent prove it, but they can say, Oh yeah, it's, you know, this, this guy's made several posts and he's got these kill lists. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the firearms away. And like I talked about on the show before, the, the problem that you have with that, again, it does, it, it does skirt due process. Some of the politicians would say, well, no, it doesn't skirt due process because this is the new due process. This is what you get now with these red flag laws. Again, like I talked about last time, if you've got a 16-year-old son or daughter, well, that person doesn't necessarily own the firearm. So you're, you're basically violating the person who owns those guns. You're, you're taking away their rights because that person hasn't done anything. And a lot of times they don't talk about stuff like that. They don't say that, well, yeah, this kid, again, who's 16 or 17 doesn't own anything, but mom owns a, a Glock 17, and so we're going to take that away from her. Well, mom didn't do anything. And a lot of times when they give examples of this red flag stuff, they say, oh, it's this guy who's 21 or 22 or whatever, and he has his own guns, and so we're going to go in there and we're going to take them from him. When the reality is, is they're going to take every firearm out of that house that's in there, regardless of who owns it. So, anyway, it seems like to me that the ultimate goal of these red flag laws and some of the other stuff that's coming is basically to do an end run around due process or to get rid of due process altogether to where you can have anybody. And it can be an anonymous tip. It can be any. So it can, you know, I had a a, a coworker, and this is who this was years ago, who did not get along with her mother and did not get along with her sister. There was just a ton of tension, and she was uh, the mom and her sister were not the greatest people in the world. So much so that my coworker was raising the sister's daughter. So she was, she had the niece was actually living with her. And so there was tons of resentment with that. And what they actually did is they got a 72 hour, um, well, what's it called? Uh, involuntary commitment on her where she had no choice. They, they basically, um, the, the mother and the sister basically lied about her, made up a bunch of stuff about her. And she ended up basically having to go into a facility for 72 hours. There was no, um, there was no recourse on her part. There was, there was no, uh, what's I'm trying to, I'm trying to, her opinion didn't matter or her, her, uh, protestations didn't matter. She had to go because you had two or more people. And in this case, they were family members that said, oh, we think she might be a danger to herself. We think she might be a danger to, you know, uh, my uh, my daughter in that case, you know, who's living with her, you know, that she's the aunt. And so she had to go and do that. Now, of course, at basically by the first day or so, they kind of found out that, oh, she's probably fine. She did have some ADHD issues that, you know, that she was open about. But it doesn't, you know, just because you have certain things doesn't preclude you from being uh, a guardian or preclude you from having a job, all this other stuff. So anyway, they, she ended up doing the full three days. And um, a little later, you know, after she was out and stuff, she was talking to us about it, to, to me and a couple other people that were friends of hers. And I was like, well, couldn't you just tell them that this is, you know, this, that, and the other thing? And they were like, no, 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 it's, it's, invo- it's involuntary. And because there's two separate people that are doing it, it doesn't matter if they have a grudge against you. It doesn't matter if they're doing it for hostile intentions, I guess we could say. It, it doesn't matter. And then also those people, because what... There's no there's no recourse against those people that entered that thing against her, that made the 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 uh, complaint against her, because what they can always fall back on is oh no this is what you know maybe we misinterpreted the signs but this we actually had legitimate concerns, 
And, you know, maybe those concerns aren't valid, but at the time we were legitimate in our uh, wanting her to get help type thing. So anyway, most people don't really have experience with that type of thing. And we see again with the red flag loss, when they're coming in, it doesn't matter what you say. And if you put up any resistance, in the worst case scenario, they're going to kill you, which has already happened. Uh, you know, we see over and over again that the police, when they do things like no-knock warrants, when they do things like a warrant where they're they're supposed to announce and they go, you know, and then boom, they're, you know, bang, 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 police, boom, and they're in. Well, that's not really what they're supposed to do. And even if you look back in this country's history, one of the reasons that they wanted law enforcement to, or police or peace officers or whatever you want to call them, that they, that they kind of did not like the no-knock warrants was because innocent people ended up getting hurt or the police or marshals or sheriffs or whoever that were going in end up getting hurt because they would bust in and people don't know, you know, all they, all, all most people know is like all of a sudden the door gets kicked in and a bunch of guys are running in screaming. So you don't know, is this a home invasion? What's going on? And if you've got a gun at hand, maybe you're going to fire on those people. And, one of the reasons that they, they wanted to get away from the no-knock stuff was that it made it safer for everybody. And some people will say, well, if you don't let them do the no-knock stuff and they can't get them by surprise, it will, you know, they've got to go in, they've got to force entry, and, and you know, those people are going to flush those drugs down the toilet. Okay, so what? Let them do it. Many of you guys know that I am... I think that the sort of the war on drugs has failed. I think most drugs should be legalized. Uh, again, if if we go back and we look at guys like Spooner, uh, who who talked, and I've, I've mentioned this in past shows briefly, but vices are not crimes, and and when you criminalize vices, you know you're going down a real slippery slope there. Uh, so. And because most of this stuff, you know, a lot of the violence and a lot of the 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 uh, tragedies and deaths that occur are because a lot of this stuff is illegal. If let's say if marijuana was across the board illegal and it wasn't so overly regulated, which is what they want to do, you're not going to see there's there's going to be no money in it to do it illicitly unless the government taxes it so high that it's you're better off buying it from, you know, the guy down the street who, who grows it out wherever. But, you know, and I don't, anyway, I'm getting away kind of off this, <laughs> this red flag stuff. But, um, again, it seems, we'll, we'll kind of circle back, it seems that what they really want to do is get rid of due process. And we've talked about over and over on this show that due process is one of the strongest sort of checks and balances that we have to where the government cannot just come in and swoop down on us and take all our things and lock us up and we have no recourse. Uh, so anyway, uh, that is what I kind of think that the government wants to do is to really, really get rid of due process so they can just do whatever they want, whenever they want, to whoever they want. And you know what? We see good examples of this when we look at federal prosecutors and you look at those cases and you have people, and I know we're going off on a tangent here, but it's important. We have people that will, in kind of defense of that, say, well, you know, they have this 98% uh, conviction rate because everybody takes these plea deals because they're so guilty. No, 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 no. When you look at how the feds operate, it is 100% set up for them to win. There is almost no way that you can win unless you're super connected and have a lot of money to where you can reach out to people that you know, like if you're super politically connected, and then they can say, no, the higher-ups tell this one 
federal prosecutor, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to pull this kind of BS and nonsense that we do with the other people. When you really go in and look at the plea deals, the people take pleas because what they're saying is we'll give you five years or we'll give you 35 years. What are you going to take? And a lot of these people, they don't have the money. They don't have the means. They don't have, and this isn't to, to be insulting, but they don't have the sophistication of how the courts work and what's going on in order to kind of save themselves. So they're just like, you mean 35 years or five? So I'm, I'm 35 now and I can either get out when I turn 40 or I can get out when I turn 70. Yeah, I'll sign off on it. And, and what they do is they, well, I, I, I can tell you how it used to work in my job because I was a probation officer. And so what you do when you do a violation, a lot of times when a person would get a new charge, what some people would do, I didn't normally do it but um, because you just didn't have to, but what some people would do is when a, a kid on their caseload would get a new charge, they would also violate their probation just as a matter of fact. And a lot of times what happened was if that charge from the police wasn't that great or uh, if they wanted to, they would have them plea to the, uh, let's say they, they got a, a shoplifting charge. And the the time that it happened or the place that they were at, you know, they'd been, uh, you know, it was, it was such where you could have a violation of probation. Maybe they got it during... And again, because I was juvenile, let's say that they got a shoplifting charge when they were supposed to be in school. Well, you can violate them for not attending school or, you know, this, that and the other thing. Or or uh, when they're brought in, you have them pee tested and, you know, they, it comes up that they're uh, positive for marijuana or for coke or whatever. And you can get them on those violations. And so what would happen is when you would go to court, then the prosecutor would say, oh, I have like four uh, violations of probation and then I also have this shoplifting charge. And so what we'll do is we'll dismiss the shoplifting or we'll drop the shoplifting to attempted shoplifting. And we'll also dismiss the violations of probation. And again, it doesn't matter. It, it, in, in most courts, and it's probably the same thing in the feds, they don't really care about what the actual guilty charge or guilty plea is for because it's a win in the column. And a lot of times, again, when people are saying, well, they pled to this because they were super guilty and this other stuff, they don't really understand how the court systems work and how it's really stacked against you. And that's why I've always told people, you don't ever, ever want to be involved in the court system, ever. Because once, once you get involved in there and, want, and having, having been on the inside and knowing how it works... Once they get their hooks into you, it's a nightmare. It, it, even if you do everything that they want you to do, it depends on the type of person you get that's going to be sort of maybe your go-between, so to speak. And that's, a, a, you know, we can look at sometimes probation or parole officers as that because they're the, they're the uh, people that are, are kind of in between the court and you and, and, and uh, the police and all the other type of stuff. And we can talk about that maybe on a later show, but... Uh, if you get one who's really good, maybe you have a good experience. If you get one who's who's garbage, then, you know, or somebody who's got a chip on their shoulder about, you know, you in particular, that type of thing, it's not going to go well for you. So anyway, uh, let's kind of get back uh, again to Dave's stuff. The second thing that he was talking about was that we don't really have a, a full understanding of why these guys are going out and and shooting a bunch of people that they don't know. Why are they going out and killing random strangers from their perspective? Uh, we can understand it maybe from the point of, oh, this guy killed his girlfriend and her family when she dumped him or when she started dating somebody else or this, that, because you can see it, it, you can see a line, even if it spilled over past her into that, into her family, that type of thing. 
uh, it's a little bit harder for us to kind of say, well, why would they kill a bunch of random strangers? Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of different components. There's and there's things that they don't really talk about and it gets kind of brought out from other other maybe news sources and things where a lot of these guys well not, well in order for somebody to do that there's got to be some switch that isn't wired properly there is something that is wrong mentally uh, and so a lot of these shooters i think the vast majority of them are on some type of uh oh what do they call them uh, serotonin reuptake inhibitors i think they call them ssris or something like that uh, a lot of those guys are on that stuff and a lot of these guys have serious serious mental health issues and some of the the cocktails and the medications that these guys are on uh, some of the side effects of them are suicidal thoughts homicidal thoughts things like that and it kind of you know it can kind of go for there now that can be a part of it but having said that because his point was is that there are so many variables that we wouldn't necessarily be able to have laws in place that would that would head this stuff off so uh, again, I agree with him on that. Um, and kind of getting back to, again, government overreach with this stuff. Who then decides, let's say that you have some mental health issues and you're on medication and you're fine. You know, you're, you're not maybe on some of these um, SSRIs. You're not on, and maybe I'm saying it wrong, uh, but let's say that, you know, you're on a different type of med. Well, is the government now going to step in and say, ooh, you're on antidepressants or you're on an anti-anxiety. So we don't think you should be allowed to have guns. And you're like, well, and, and here's the thing, you know, having had experience in, in working with a lot of people who are on a lot of different types of medication, medications are not a magic bullet. Um, and the way I had it explained to me by several psychologists and they all basically kind of said the same version of, of this is that what medications do is let's say most people operate on a scale of one to 10 and most people are operating on a, uh, you know, right at eight is the average person. And the person who needs medication, maybe that person is operating at like a three or a four and then they get on medication and that medication sort of helps them and brings them up to where they're Maybe they're not an eight, but they're like a, a seven. And so it helps them be able to see things the way that they are as opposed to you know being overwhelmed and things like that. So again, it doesn't take away their problems. It doesn't mean that they don't have challenges, but it, it, it allows them to cope with those things and to kind of move forward. Uh, so again, but, but if we go back and we look at, you know, government doesn't is never content to sit back and watch things go by they always want more they always want more control so with things like medical marijuana coming out and with legalize, legalization and the of uh, recreational marijuana of course the government i i think probably within the next 3 to 5 years it will be taken off as from a schedule 1 uh, especially once Government kind of gets its meat hooks into the uh, the system of it, or, or, the, or the the operational system of of uh, not only medical marijuana but recreational marijuana. There's going to be too much money to be made, and they're going to go ahead and legalize it uh, just to, to enrich the coffers. So, but basically, you know, if right now if you were on medical marijuana, from a federal standpoint, they would say, well, no, you can't have guns. And of course, if these red laws, flag laws, came in. Again, maybe maybe some jurisdictions aren't going to do it. Maybe some are. Maybe the jurisdictions in places like New Jersey, New York, uh, Hawaii, Colorado, places like, well, maybe not Colorado, but um, Massachusetts, places like that are really going to come down hard on you. Certain places in California are going to look for any excuse to take away your firearms. 
also the um, the last point that Dave made, and then after this we'll move on to a couple other things that I kind of popped into my head. And it kind of clicks onto what we were saying a little bit earlier, is you know are these politicians true believers, or you know kind of are they just power hungry, and they're doing stuff to speak to their base to make sure that hey I'm the I know you guys aren't, don't I know you guys want more gun control and I'm the most rabid gun control guy that's out there and so if you keep me in power I may not be able to get all the stuff that I'm talking about but I'll I'll be fighting for you know some type of gun control and I think it's more the latter I think that's what these guys are not necessarily true believers now Dave had mentioned Feinstein but if you go back in history and not too far there were some, and I'm not taking the legitimacy or the or the credibility of the threats that, that her and her husband were facing, but they had actual threats. They'd had their house shot up. She went out. She got a gun. She got a, uh, I think she got a concealed carry license. And she carried it when she, because she wanted to have the option basically to fight back. And she she's talked about that. But of course, now later on in life, be, I don't know if maybe if she has better security now or if some of those threats or she doesn't feel that they're threatened. But now she wants to take away that ability from other people. So I do not think that she is a true believer. I think she is a true believer in control. And I think that she may want her reasons for gun control may be a little bit different than other people. But I think that a lot of times some of these politicians see it as, well, this would reduce any threats against me if nobody had guns. And I can do sort of more of what I want to do without fear of any type of reprisal, whether that reprisal would be legitimate or not. Not to say that, and by what I mean by legitimate reprisal would be that she would be voted out of office, not that she would be gunned down in the street or something like that. Uh, but again, in a country of, of well over 300 million people, and a lot of times that number is like 350 million or whatever is thrown out. But, you know, that does include, you know, children and other things, too. But of those people, you know, how many of them are are uh, eligible to have firearms? How many of, of those people that would be able to have legitimate ownership actually want to have ownership of guns? And then of those people, how many of them hate her enough or hate politicians enough? to actually do something. And so you get your numbers just shrink, 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 shrink. Um, and again, this is, it goes back to identity politics and the problem with only having a two-party system is because you, as what we're seeing with Trump and some of these bans and some of his talking about red flag laws and, and universal background checks, the stuff that they're floating around, there's no, you don't have any other place to turn to. And, you know, you, you could say, well, you're a libertarian and, and they don't want for those. But we got no, the libertarian party really has no power. Maybe in some smaller places here and there, but it's not uh, up on the federal stage. There really isn't. You have certain Republicans like, oh, what's his name? Uh, Thomas Massey, I think is his name. Uh, Amash. Uh, um and some other stuff. So, uh, you know, and uh, you have guys like Rand Paul, but those guys, although Amash, I think is out of the Republican party. He left. I think he may be, maybe he's like an independent or something now. So I, I don't know, which, which probably means realistically that that guy is like tired of being in politics. And so he's, he's out and he's leaving the party and he's got something else lined up to where it doesn't matter to him, whether he stays in politics or not. So anyway, a lot of times people talk about gun owners as this huge voting block and as this huge influence in elections. But what does gun owners even mean in regards to politics and voting? Because not all gun owners are like me and are like you, probably if you're listening to this type of a show, you, you feel you have more skin in the game. But just because somebody owns a pistol or a shotgun, now technically they're a gun owner, but are they really a Second Amendment advocate? Are they really a civil rights advocate? Are they really a, you should be able to have private property and, and, and 
decide what you're going to do for defense of yourself and your family and your community, you know, uh, that type of thing. Because for some people who are gun owners, maybe medical marijuana is a higher issue. And they'll say, well, look, my mother who is going through cancer or my child who's going through a can- you know, a, a, a leukemia or something like that, medical marijuana would help them. And the pro-gun guy who I have a choice to vote for and the anti-gun person who I have a choice to vote for, the pro-gun guy is vehemently and rapidly against medical marijuana. And the other person who says that, you know, they just want universal background checks, well, they're they're pro medical marijuana and they're pro and that's more important to me. Because even if it's a universal background check, well that doesn't mean anything to me. I've already got my gun. What do I care? I'm I'm not gonna buy anything else. You know, and even if I have to, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna get it at a gun store anyway. I'm not gonna buy it privately. So, you know, a lot of times I don't know what we really mean or what's what a lot of people think is being said when they talk about gun owners and how they're this, you know, great political voting block and they have all this political power. You know, I don't know. You know, a good a good example of a little bit of of having a a group that has some political influence is Arizona Citizens Defense League out here where I am and I'm a member. But uh our membership when I first started was around maybe what three four thousand people, and I think now the ranks are are uh, I want to say it's like, and maybe I'm wrong on this. I want to say it's something like sixteen thousand, so it's multiplied by a factor of about four. So what that means is that when a certain issue comes up, that we are able to generate as as a group we're able to generate probably 10,000 emails that come in and 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 everybody gets them everybody gets hammered with them and these local legislators 10,000 10,000 potential votes to them can be the difference between out here winning or losing an election so Groups like that, I mean, I can say, yeah, okay, that gun owner group kind of has, kind of has some sway. Uh, but anyway, we'll get back again with with Dave's point. So, uh, and I'll uh, I won't sum him up because we'd kind of already done that before. But I I thought he made some really good points, and was you know pretty spot on with some of that stuff. So again, Dave, thanks for sending that stuff in, and I hope to hear from you again soon. All right, let's talk about maybe one sort of last thing. And it it ties in a little bit, again, going back to the red flag stuff. And that is a lot of times people say, and especially if if they're what we'll call maybe apologists for police or government or enforcement agencies, however you want to, however you want to, uh, tournament is they say well hey if this stuff ever comes through there are so many pro second amendment guys and pro constitution people in law enforcement that they will refuse in mass to follow up on these things and they'll say sort of the same things about military but we we're not really talking about military because military is not going to be who's coming to get your to get your firearms or coming to confiscate your firearms. The Marine Corps is not going to come to your house to pick up your lever action 3030. But the sheriff's office might. And those guys aren't going to refuse. Maybe one out of a hundred might. But if that guy refuses, is he going to flat out refuse or is he going to call in sick that day? Or is he gonna say, "Oh, you know, I," uh, or is he gonna stand up and say, "I refuse to do this. this is unconstitutional." Um, that guy's probably gonna be fired, or he'll be he'll he'll be written up, and his career will be put in jeopardy, which means maybe his family is put in jeopardy because he's not gonna be able to 
transfer out to a different department or into a different section. You know, at best, maybe they stick him at a desk and eventually look for ways to get rid of him. Um, and if you think that doesn't happen in police departments, you you know, you're you got a blind eye. So I don't I don't think that there are enough police who would say if the orders come down, we got to go to, you know, John Brown's house and pick up his firearms because his son wrote that he didn't like Donald Trump or whatever, and he he hopes he gets shot in the face one day. Could something like that happen? Maybe a little far-fetched, but yeah, why not? Especially if it's in a a state or a city where they're super rabid anti-gun and they want to show that these red flag laws are working and they want to make it seem like it's a success when it's really not, uh, and it's not really doing much. Uh, but believe me, they'll crow about it because it's, again, it's the thing of of kind of that pre-crime thing. Well, and, 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 we, and we see that government does this all the time. They'll set up a patsy and they'll push this person probably to links and into doing things that they would not have normally have done Maybe they talk about it, but you know they were never gonna. They were never actually gonna act on it. But then the government kind of pushes them, sets it up, makes it makes things happen that they probably would not have been able to access on their own, or to make things happen on their own. And then they pop that guy, and then they say, "Look, look, what a great job we did! Look how wonderful we are!" And you don't have to turn back the pages of history too far to see where the police are saying, hey, nobody else is going to have guns. Remember Hurricane Katrina? Nobody else is going to have guns, just us. We're, we're coming to get them. Now, the funny thing is about that is they went into areas where they felt they could accomplish that mission, so to speak. There were areas in New Orleans where everybody in the neighborhood had guns and they had posted signs you know, basically saying, I can't remember exactly what the signs were, but basically saying, you know, we are armed here, do not, you know, looters will be shot or this, that, or the other thing, or however they they were going to do it. And the police did not go into those areas. I think that they actually went into one area, they sent a couple of cars up, and they were met with resistance. There was no gunfire, but the police said, well, we need to round up your guns. And then you had like 15 armed people come out with rifles and handguns and stuff saying, no, you're not going to take them. And if you are, we're going to fight you. We're going to resist. But what you also saw was when people, once they, they were disarmed, they were basically just herded up like cattle and said, you're going to go here. You're going to wait. You're going to be in this, you know, basically this uh, sewer of a place where we're going to house you, where there's not enough food. There's not enough water. There's no, there's, there's not enough, um, uh, how do I say it politely? There's not enough sewage facilities. You know, they, they become overwhelmed almost instantly because the amount of people that are there and things aren't working. Uh, you know, we look at those people that were herded into the stadiums and, you know, it was just a massive failure. Uh, there were also stories of people who were trying to make their way out and they were, if they were armed, they were, they were, they were, uh, had their, firearms taken away most of them never to be seen again there were people who were trying to get out on boats and then they came up to a checkpoint and instead of letting them out they turned them back and made them go back in there were uh, places on, on the water and there were also places on land where that happened not just to one or two people but repeatedly to several people so uh, again we do not have to run these you know fanciful scenarios where all this stuff happens to where we see police overreach. We see it all the time. It happens constantly. And, you know, for all the people out there that are apologists, if, and I guarantee you this, if, let's say there was some state of emergency or, or, or for whatever reason, uh, 
a Democrat gets in and we've had, you know, uh, and, and uh, we'll do a little bit of fanciful fantasy here. So whatever form of government is in, they feel that the police are kind of overwhelmed. And so they bring in U.N. backed police forces. Right. So they're bringing in foreign people to help the police. So you, you basically have a U.N. police force. And let's say they don't do anything different. Everything sort of remains the same. Would you then say, oh, wait a minute, that's, that's a little bit of an overreach. They shouldn't, they shouldn't just be able to come into our house and take my firearms because of what somebody said. I have due process. They shouldn't be able to listen to all my uh, phone calls, read all my emails, take all my metadata. They shouldn't be able to access my doorbell, video doorbell, without my consent. But you have these people that willingly throw away their rights to catch some hypothetical bad guy. They say, well, you know, I should, I, I should be stopped at that checkpoint. doesn't matter that I drink or not. Now, of course, the courts have ruled, oh, that's constitutional. So, anyway... I know this has probably been a little bit of anti-government uh, filled show today. So hopefully some of you guys, though, will kind of think about some of this stuff. Maybe you're not as vehement as I am, but we, we really need reform in this country. And we need to get back to, and I, I, I hesitate to even say like the Constitution or the Bill of Rights, but we sort of need, if we're going to have rules that are written down, we need to follow them. And those rules need to apply to everybody, both to the lowest and to the highest. And we need to get back to the supremacy of the individual. And that if it is not okay for me as an individual to do something, then it shouldn't be okay for the government to do that. So anyway, I think I am going to, it's been what, about an hour or so maybe? I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap up the show. I would love to hear from you guys on what do you think about is going on with the uh, the Democrats as far as are they really kind of going off the deep end? Is this just a bunch of hyperbole to kind of rile up their base? What do you think? Do you think, uh, like Dave was asking, are these guys true believers or are they just sort of you know uh, power-hungry people? What do you guys think about some of the red flag laws? Do you think that any part of that red flag law could be good? Is there any way that that could be enacted or does it does it always sort of end in would it always sort of end in abuse? Meaning if you had a kid who was legitimately saying, "Hey, I'm going to kill these people. I'm going to do this." And he's, he's posted about it. Other people in the school are afraid, you know, blah, 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 blah. Or there's, there's multiple reports saying, hey, this kid said he's going to bring a gun to school. You know, we need to take this serious. I think I don't think he's, he's just saying stuff to get attention, that type of thing, or to make himself seem like, you know, uh, he's a badass. Or, you know, is it a thing where the guy was getting picked on and so he made these statements to get the bullies to sort of back off of him type deal? You know, can you say, well, well, there is some legitimacy for him? I, I really don't, I don't really see that it, that it can be put in place without being really abused. So anyway, I think I will uh, call it to a close and I will talk to you guys next time.
I'm not gonna get home. 